everyone. Welcome to the Shelf Care Interview, an occasional conversation series where Booklist talks to book people. This Shelf Care Interview is sponsored by Learner. I'm Julia Smith, and today I'm talking with Tracy Sorrell about her picture book biography, Classified, The Secret Career of Mary Golda Ross, Cherokee Aerospace Engineer, which publishes this March under Learner's Millbrook Press imprint. Thank you for joining me, Tracy. Well, no, thank you, Julia, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes. Can we get started just by hearing something about the book? Sure. Classified shares the story of Mary Golda Ross, as you mentioned, who is a Cherokee woman. She was an aerospace engineer. She's also one of the hidden figures that helped put a man on the moon. She worked a lot on interplanetary space travel to Mars and Venus. And, you know, you think about when this is happening, right? I mean, we're coming out of World War II. We're in the space race with the Soviet Union. And so she's doing this highly classified secret work, which is why people haven't heard of her. And so what I had seen about her previously was, you know, little one-page snippets in anthologies about women engineers or women in STEM, hidden figures, but nothing really talking about her and who she was and her background. And what I share in the story are four, although there are many Cherokee values that really influence who she is and, and who she becomes and how she shares her gifts with the world, because that's not what's often shared. I mean, people really downplay and I'm like, but she comes from an environment where education is prized for all. And that's not something that was typical in the broader, you know, non-native United States at the time period. She was born in 1908. You know, she came from a long line of education is for everyone. And so her math loving self was uh, very much encouraged to pursue education and to make those gifts forward. And so it, it really is centering that background and how she, she carries that forward. But we don't know a lot about her career because most of the stuff she worked on is still classified. But we do know the lasting impact she's had in encouraging women from all backgrounds and, and Native Americans to enter STEM fields. So I'm just um, delighted to have this book to share with young readers. Yeah, that's amazing. How did you start to then dig into your research on her because so much was still classified. I'm curious about where you found information. Well, thankfully, <laughs> you know, there are things online, there were articles. So I started, you know, just kind of doing that background survey of her involvement in the Society of Women Engineers and her involvement, you know, in working for Lockheed as their first female engineer and the first Native American female engineer in the nation. There had been some press and articles about that. And she passed away in 2008, just a few months shy of her 100th birthday. So there'd been a Google doodle last in 2019, the U.S. Mint created Native Americans in the U.S. Space Program coin series. And so it's got a picture of her working on equations. And then there's an astronaut in a spacesuit, and that's John Harrington, who's Chickasaw. So there were some things in place already. But Mary Golda Ross and I share Cherokee Nation citizenship. So I reached out to her family. She still has a first cousin who is, is living. He was, uh, she was 37 when he was born. So he's an elder now himself. And he pointed me to her papers and all of her kind of personal effects from her work that were not classified, 
that are at nearby the Northeastern State University campus in Tahlequah, which is the capital of the Cherokee Nation, and where she had done her undergraduate degree. So I went over there and they pulled out, I don't know, it was between 15 and 20 some boxes. And so books that were on her desk, her slide rule, you know, I'm getting to handle all these things. It was just amazing to read through notebooks of her equations, which of course I cannot understand not having <laughs> a strong math or science <laughs> background at all. And her just beautiful handwriting. But in there also are all of her employee records, promotion, like all these things. So I had like dates, you know, it's like I could actually, I mean, the timeline in the back is so detailed because I had all of these dates for, you know, when she'd gotten her degrees and and all of these things. So it really helped me to ensure that, you know, I've got a story that follows along. People can easily access, but all of those nitty gritty details that people love in the back matter, I was able to supply those two from Mary herself. And uh, what a gift, what a gift. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, I was going to say another thing too is my editor, Carol Hins at Millbrook and Danielle Carnito, the art director, were in Oklahoma for other books related that had come from learners. So Chris Barton's book on the Oklahoma City bombing and Carol Boston Weatherford and Floyd Cooper's forthcoming Unspeakable, those were in process. And so they had come down and I was able to take them over to Tahlequah, show them, you know, where Mary grew up, you know, the school that she went to as a child that her mother had donated some of their her family land for to put a small schoolhouse there and uh, where she's buried, you know, we went to the campus, um, which was the seminary before it was the university. So it was another wonderful thing that they also got to see the area. We took all these pictures, which then we could share with the illustrator. And I had photographed, of course, so many things that were in the boxes to share with her as well. So bookmaking, you know, is a team sport. And that definitely was how it worked with uh, classified as well. That's great. And I was going to just mention Natasha's illustrations for this book. They're so beautiful. Yeah. I just, when I, you know, first saw the sketches, I was like, oh man, when this is in color, I know I'm just going to fall over. And of course, you know, when I later got the PDF with the color, (laughs) it's like every time I see her work, you know, I'm just in awe. Um, It's so incredibly beautiful. Her line work is just tremendous. Mm -hmm. And so to this point, I feel like I have hit the lottery every time when I have worked with an illustrator. I mean, what they bring to my words, it takes it to a whole nother level. And that is absolutely the case with Natasha's artwork in this book. I absolutely love it. What would you say inspires your writing? Oh, so many things. But I think the principal thing is I want to make the invisible visible. And so when I was growing up, there were not, you know, the the variety of books that um, young people now have access to on, on all different fronts, fiction or nonfiction, you know, yeah. for all different age groups in the variety of formats that there were. And so I did not see Native people in books, like what you saw were really caricatures and, and stereotypes, if they were included at all. But they were never flushed out as real characters with real lives, you know, real emotions. And you almost never saw them in nonfiction. And if you did, again, it's like very ancient type stories, but written from 
not the view of people who actually know about these folks, their stories, what their contributions were. So that's really what I center in my work is how do I, you know, contribute? And I, I am just one small pebble going into the pond of, of many people across, you know, Indian country working in, you know, whether it's trade publications, whether it's TV, film, any types of the arts, like working to share our stories and help not just our young people, which, you know, I certainly center Cherokee children. I'm the mother of a you know Cherokee child first and foremost, but I also am looking at, you know, what other Native children are represented in this story. And then beyond that, what are their peers going to learn from reading this story? Again, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I approach both equally, that I want to ensure cultural accuracy and be culturally respectful about information that's shared, because that has not happened in the past. And unfortunately, in books that are still published today, that continues. And I don't want to contribute to that. I want to give young people the opportunity to read wonderful literature. And so one of the things that I feel like we're at this great time is that I can access what everyone else is writing and read those things. And so my son and I have great conversations about the books that are available now. And I just tell him all the time, I'm so jealous of you. My fifth grade self would have loved to have been in your shoes, you know, yeah. uh, because it just, it just wasn't available. It wasn't there. Right. One of the things that you mentioned a little bit, but it really jumped out at me when I was reading is how you integrate the Cherokee values or some of them into this biography. And I can't mm-hmm. help but feel that would be absent had someone outside of the culture been writing this. You know, they might have listed a few things, but the way you weave it in to all the different parts of her life, I think is really amazing. Well, I went to a talk some years ago now, probably about five years ago or so, and someone was talking, it was an academic who had written a scholarly work on Will Rogers. And what she was talking about is like how all these people write books about Will Rogers but they don't center him in his Cherokee identity, right? This is very much an after fact, if it's ever mentioned at all. And yet he was born in the Cherokee nation. He, for the time when he lived in Oklahoma, it was a Cherokee nation. It was not the state of Oklahoma. And then he moved on and worked and lived in other places, you know, Argentina, South Africa, New York, California, et cetera. And um, his father had been on the tribal council, you know, of the Cherokee nation. And I thought, But that's the case with like all of our folks who end up being written about. Nothing is centering what were the values, the community, what has shaped them. And so when Carol and I were talking about this biography, I said, I mean, as I read like what she's done and how she's contributed to things, like it is so clear to me, like she is living out what her family has done. You know, her great, great grandfather, John Ross had been the chief of the Cherokee Nation Prior to removal, he came with, obviously, our ancestors on the forced removal. And he and the leadership at the time are the ones that established the schools here, right? And which was not easy to do, right? You arrive, you have nothing but what you could put into a wagon and and bring with you. And yet we had the Cherokee Male Seminary, we had the Cherokee Female Seminary. The Female Seminary is what you see as part of Northeastern State University. And when you open up the book in the front 
couple of pages there where there's a note on Cherokee values and I have a quote from Mary Golda Ross, you see the female seminary and that when you drive up to the campus is what you see up on the hill. So it's, it's one of those first views that you have of the campus is that historic building and that Mary was taking classes in, like I said, being there on the campus and stuff. So I do agree with that point that others would not have more than likely seen that or brought that up because it's not how they view someone, you know, they're thinking about their accomplishments and it's like, but why she, why was she so humble about what she did? I mean, it wasn't like she wasn't just sharing things because it was classified. She was receiving awards. She was receiving a lot of recognition. And I certainly saw that played out as I went through her records and the materials she had sent over to Northeastern State University. But she knew that humility is one of our values. It's like, it's not her working in a silo. She's with a team of people. And just as, you know, an entire family contributes to its own well-being and sustenance, um, and that, you know, extends to then the larger community and everybody working in partnership, she's just doing the same thing. Like she's just living out those values. And so I wanted to shine a light on that, that so many people who are achieving these things are bringing their full identities and their full selves into that experience, even if you're not aware of it. So like I say, I feel like her, her story is a very important one for, for young people to have that message that even if you're going into a field, you have no family or friends or anyone you know has, has done anything in this field, bring your full self. As difficult as that may seem, others have done that before you. That's wonderful. Can you talk a little bit about the role of libraries in your life? <laughs> Well, I'll start with the present. So libraries are critical to my life. I could not write if I did not have access to libraries because I need to do research, as I mentioned, on a variety of topics. But I also need to keep up with what is being published right now. What is new out on the market? So, And I want to write across all age groups. I want to write across variety of formats. And the library is the only place that I'm going to get all of those things. You know, I mean, I don't have a personal budget that allows me to buy all of those new titles. And so I can request for my library to buy what they may not yet have acquired. And then I have access to that book. So this year we had to unenroll my son from the school district because they had a mask recommended policy, which was not going to work for our family. And so the library has been even more critical because now I'm supplying him with additional reading material from there. So I could not function without our public library. But as a child uh, and when I was younger uh, as a teen, the library, both at school and the public library, you know, especially the public library in, in the summer and during breaks, but that is where I could lose myself in, in fiction and nonfiction in worlds that were completely the opposite of what I was living in, whether I was out in the country or in the town, I was in smaller rural areas until my teen years. So those books allowed me to go, okay, <laughs> there are people having all kinds of experiences that I have no clue about. I remember when I was reading Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and trying to envision this child, Peter, like going into an elevator and up to an apartment. And this was where he lived was in this, in essence, to me, a large box. And I'm like, he has no yard. He has no animals like outside. 
how is he like living in this world? It just made no sense because I was on a horse before I could walk. I mean, so it's, you know, it's a very different reality, but that's the beauty of our libraries. It opens up all of those introductions to new worlds. And, but hopefully, like I say, and what I, you know, I hope my work does is it allows those who are in those worlds to see themselves in a way that they haven't been represented previously. Yes. Let's see. It's when you're not writing, and I know you're reading a lot within like your interests and in, in this research, but what do you, what are you reading for fun? Uh, well, I mean, I, I enjoy reading board books, and picture books, <laughs> yes. early readers, chapter books, uh, novels and verse. I enjoy reading all of those things, anthologies of poetry and short stories. So I feel like I'm like this kid again who gets to enjoy all these wonderful books that come out. And then I sometimes will venture into things for adults, but ten- they tend to be <laughs> so wordy. And I'm like, who's your editor? You know, and again, I realize it's a different audience, but sometimes it's it's painful. But one book that I have been reading and enjoying recently is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's Potawatomi. And that has been uh, wonderful, a wonderful read during the, the pandemic. And I, yeah. I have to take my time with it because I really want to sit with all the wisdom she's sharing about plants and the environment and our relationship, you know, with water, with our fellow animals, all of these things. I Mm -hmm. think there's so much wisdom and richness there to, to take in that I'm I'm not wanting to rush it. Um, Yeah. So I'm enjoying that. Great. That's my last question for you. But since you happen to have your book handy, I was wondering if you could read just a small portion for our listeners. Sure, absolutely. I'll start off with Mary's quote, because that's right inside the beginning of the book. And it says, do the best you can and search out available knowledge and build on it. I started with a firm foundation in mathematics and qualities that came down to me from my Indian heritage. And Mary said that in her last interview just a few weeks before she passed in April 2008. And that interview was actually done with the Cherokee Phoenix, our independent tribal newspaper. And as I read that quote, I thought, yes, I mean, like I say, what I have in the book is not something I just made up. She talks about like, this is what she knew. This was her, this was her heritage. These are the values she was raised with as well as her love of math that then led her to this new field that wasn't even created, which was aerospace engineering. But the um, opening spread is her working at a desk. And again, Natasha's art is is just going to feed you so much as you you read through the book. But uh, it begins, young Mary Golda Ross pushed her pencil across the page. Puzzling out math equations made her happy. Teenage girls in the 1920s weren't expected to enjoy or excel in math or science, but Mary did, and she blazed a trail for others. And then the story goes on from there, talking about her journey. And like I said, I I look forward to to sharing this book with readers on March 2nd and just hopefully encouraging a new generation of young people to see that they can do whatever it is that they set their mind to. And I actually do dedicate the book to future engineers, mathematicians, and scientists saying, do the best you can, as Mary would say, because I'm rooting for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks to everyone for listening to the Shelf Care interview. This Shelf Care interview was sponsored by Learner. 
publisher of Tracy Sorrell's Classified, The Secret Career of Mary Golda Ross, Cherokee Aerospace Engineer. Happy reading. Happy reading.